Justin. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we've been doing this show now for about a year, and uh, I think that we've been pretty successful at it. However, uh, there are a few things that I think we still need to learn. Like, for instance, uh, did you, how, how's your pitching? Like, how, how are you at pitching? I, I was a pitcher in, in high school, so I played, you know, I was a, I was a baseball player, so it's pretty good. Pretty yeah, solid. but what if, you, what if you wanted to sell something to someone, like this show? To Oh, crap. Well, yeah. I could use some work. Well, I, I actually have the guy that you want to talk to right behind this screen of mine. And uh, I, I got to tell you, this is, this is a big one. This is, we, we're, we're very lucky to have this guest. Are you ready? Are you I'm ready? ready? All right. Well, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. All right. Our guest tonight is a best-selling author. Uh, he was an investment banker. He's a presenter. He is uh, just a, like, this is a guy that you really, like, we're going to have to probably bring him on for multiple shows. We'll see how this one goes. Ladies and gentlemen, Oren Clapp. <laughs> Woo! That was a great introduction. You guys are hired. <laughs> and by great, you mean long. I meant long. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, welcome to the show, man, and uh, really appreciate it. I, uh, uh, I, I, you, you. First of all, uh, I'd love to find out uh, for the, for our listeners who don't know you. Why don't you give us a little bit of, of your bio and tell us how how you ended up doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know me, go to Google, type in O, and then the autofill, you know, half the internet is already about me. It will just say, oh, I love fill it. in Oren Clapp. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't know pitch anything, uh, but if you don't, so I helped a whole generation of guys on Wall Street and Silicon Valley know how to go and ask for money and be in the control position. So most of the time, you go ask for money, and basically you're begging for it right? Whether you're raising money, uh, trying to get a loan, you know, trying to get some resources for a project. And so I changed people's understanding of where the power is in that meeting when you go and ask for money. Because everybody in within the first five seconds, 10 seconds, put themselves in the low status, low power, no leverage. I'm going to, uh, at, at best, get a maybe at this meeting and, and people put themselves in that position unnecessarily. So I help people understand what power they have and don't have in those kind of meetings, how to conduct them and how to increase conversion, the likelihood of getting into a yes. And so pitch anything is taught at universities. It's at MIT. It's, you know, at Cisco, it's at every Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Amazon and every real company Every real bank, every real company that deals with money and high stakes pitches or asking for something uses pitch anything. In fact, it's funny because people will go to a meeting and they'll say, uh, you know, oh, this is a pitch anything pitch, right? And then they'll call in everybody else and go, oh, we got to see this. So that's a little bit about me and my background, you know, be as humble as possible. Let me ask you a couple questions because um, a couple things there. Number one, uh, I, I revisited that book, Pitch Anything, uh, and I've owned that book for years. Um, so it was cool to, to finally get a face behind the book. Uh, but it, it's interesting because I work in the, I've worked in the seminar industry out here in Southern California for about 
six years uh, pretty pretty hard in the seminar industry. And there's so many people that use concepts from Pitch Anything in their teaching yeah. this day, to this day. And <laughs> after revisiting the book, I didn't realize how much of it is coming from your book. But a lot a lot of that stuff is. It's funny because I'll go to I'll go to programs and they go, Oh yeah, you know, Orin's here. Um, you know, we use we use Pitch Anything. Uh, you know, in some of our teachings, and I'll see their pamphlet. It is the first. The entire book photocopied and that, you know, other than a front page and a back page, it's the training manual. I'm like, oh, you guys use pitch anything as a basis? No, you photocopied it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. You, you, uh, okay. So you're um, in the book, like a lot of these concepts, I, could, I mean, I would say you could, some of them you could apply to like NLP. Do you, do you have a background in that? Or, and also like, you have so many like high level psychology um, kind of components to it and brain, you know, brain neurons, things like that, okay. transmitters. I studied biopsychology in college, so I'm just curious if you have any background in, um, in studying like biopsych or, or neuropsych, or if uh, if this is just stuff that you've kind of just read a lot of books and you've kind of uh, brought you know brought it, took it upon yourself to learn all this. Well, I think it's a mix of that. I mean, I was in mechanical engineering, motorcycles, cars, planes. Uh, so no, but uh, my mom is a clinical psychologist. My dad was a sociologist and demographer. You know, so I grew up in that kind of household. And also, my parents are South African. I was born in Israel and those cultures, you know, just are great storytellers. They understand narrative and they tend to unpack things at the human level. So uh, no, but, uh, you know, with the background in engineering and coming up in that kind of family, I sort of had a, had a leaning towards this stuff. And as I started getting into it, but I will say something, you know, NLP, for example, you know, never been corroborated. It's not taught at any university, any, you know, academic institution, never been corroborated. It's not a, it's not a, Thing. You know, I was watching, uh, who's the guy from Free Solo? Uh, Alex. Uh, um, I know. The, is that the Free Climber? Yeah, the Free Climber. I don't remember his name, but yeah. So, I so I watched him doing a breakdown of climbing movies, right? It was really cool. You should, it's a great clip. And they get to Cliffhanger, you know, and Sylvester Stallone is hanging <laughs> off an ice, um, icicle, right? You know, with a, uh, with just his hand, no glove on it, you know, swinging free in the air, hanging on an icicle. And Alex, you know, the Free Solo climbed El Capitan. Uh, you know, Free Solo is commenting on, he goes, yeah, that, that's not really a thing. Hanging off an icicle off a cliff. So NLP, it's not really a thing. But I want to say this, hypnosis, NLP, straight line selling, 10-step selling, spin selling, too complicated. I'm in, a, I'm in a meeting, right? Sitting across from the people whose decision can change the arc of my career, of my life, you know, or just the year of the company or just make things a whole lot better by saying, um, well, am I a step three? Am I supposed to now, you know, be uh, in conversion? Did I touch them on the left? Did they look up to the left or to the right? Uh, what quite, these things are too complicated to implement in front of a live customer, NLP, hypnosis, spin selling, straight line selling, these methodologies, right? So that this is why pitch anything and flip the script are based on social environments, right? And not techniques that are impossible to learn and implement in real world situations. Man, you just, you just broke the heart of a lot of seminar people out there. <laughs> Dude, um, I know. Yeah. So, uh, well, let, I'd like to take, take uh, a step back a little bit because I, I'd like to find out how did this, how did this book come about to begin with? Like what were you doing before this book and after this book? Cause obviously it changed probably change your life so so can you can you break down exactly what happened yeah. that write the book and and what happened once it became popular well the book is just a offshoot or a function of learning the stuff and doing it so i can take you back uh, I'll, I'll, i i just um i was on sam harris a while ago 
and I told this to him, but I'll repeat it here. So I had a partner who was a natural at this stuff, right? And, uh, you know, pitching and closing and getting deals, really cool guy. Actually, I write about him. His name is Jonathan uh, in the first book, and uh, he's also in the second book as well. But anyway, uh, before I knew any of this, I was just an average, frustrated sales guy doing rapport and features, benefits, trial close, objections, overcome objections, close, discounting, right? Average, frustrated chump in sales. But, but this guy, Jonathan, was a real natural. And so we're trying to close a million-dollar deal. I've been working on it for six weeks. I got them right up to the precipice. They weren't quite closing. We were in legal, you know, just little what, points, right? What, what was the thing you were selling? Uh, a, a real estate project. Okay. Real estate project, right? Uh, so multi-million dollar deal. We had other investors in it. This was the last piece to get it closed and get my commission, which this was going on for a while and I needed, right? And so we're going back and forth on email and then bing, an email comes in and I can't believe what I'm looking at. Three words, all caps, from Jonathan to everybody in the deal. You know, like eight people, CC'd, lawyers and the, the decision makers and the other firm. Lose my number, all caps. And I go, what? What just happened? This, this deal just right in front of my eyes just completely went Chernobyl. Okay. And I'd see my commission and all that. My life is just starting to turn sideways. The boat is starting to list and containers are falling off of it to the ocean. And this is, you know, obviously irrecoverable in my mind. And I'm just processing this and sitting at my desk, my mouth, you know, drooling, my mouth wide open. And then ding, another email comes in from them. And of course, we all know what it's going to say, which is, uh, how dare you, you know, forget it. We're out. Right. Never talk to us again. But they, their email says, sorry, you're absolutely right. You know, we've been dragging this item on. This is not a good point of contention. Uh, we'll sign the final docs and we'll wire by the end of the week. <laughs> wow. Huh. And I was like, what in the world? Just I don't understand. Like the key maker in the Matrix just opened a door and I was looking at an alternate universe where you could send somebody an email that says, lose my number. That happened. That happened when I did ayahuasca in. in, in <laughs> but I didn't get any money. Yeah. So, so uh, I started unpacking this and and seeing the 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 subtext and the subcommunication and the things that this very experienced deal maker was doing, and there were none of the things in the books that you taught. Uh, and then as I started learning this and do doing the things that he was doing. Uh, I started seeing them working. So for example, we, we go to another really high stakes meeting, you know, on a deal. We're in San Francisco away from home. There's six or seven decision makers in the room from the other side. It's a multi-million dollar deal, right? Uh, their main guy isn't in the meeting yet. And Jonathan goes, okay, well, um, so what you guys want to do the 1004 meeting now? Is that what we're doing? The 1004 meeting? Look, uh, if any, let's get this thing started. Does anybody need fluids in or out? If not, let's get started, right? We're going to tell you, uh, what's changing, why we think this project happens now, why do it with us, the ROI, the assumptions, the pro forma, and the timeline that we're willing to work under. And then, you know, that'll take us about 10, 15 minutes to walk you through the project. And then we'll give you some time to tell us a little bit about yourselves in context of our project, right? And if our circles overlap, we'll figure out a way to go forward. Uh, I see some of your people are missing, but I'm sure they'll be able to catch up. Uh, why don't we kick this thing off? We've got to bounce out of here. 
in about an hour. Want to make good use of the time. All set? And what's notable about that is all the things that are missing. Hey, did you guys catch the Dallas game? Right? Football fans. Oh, you know. Uh, oh, I see a photo up on the board. Is this you playing racquetball? Mm-hmm. No rapport building. Uh, rapport building. You know, and, and Tony Robbins and I are like in constant conflict <laughs> on, this, on this subject of rapport. You know, but uh, when you have value, when you're a professional, when you know how to communicate what you have, how you, when you know how to put it in context of the other person, when you know how to, uh, the other, you know, when you know how to solve the other person's problems and you're an expert in their kind of problems and you can show them that you've solved their kinds of problem a thousand times before and it's not a push up. And when they trust you and they know you're an expert, they know you can solve their problem, then they want to do a deal. And they don't really give a fuck whether you like the Dallas Cowboys or not, because that's not fundamental to the, you know, the decision of whatever it is they're going to do. Sorry, I know it was a clean show up to now, but we just turned the corner. It's, it's an explicit show, so you're free to, you're free to do whatever you yeah, want. Man, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a clean show from, from the moment we started recording. The first <laughs> Um, well, I, so th- this is uh, so this is pretty interesting. So, so you decided, you know what? Uh, not enough people know this. You you felt that this was knowledge that you wanted to impart to other people. So, was there was there like a point where you're like, you know what? This might be a good book. And you uh, you did the uh, as Reed Bradbury once said, ATC asked a chair, and you started <laughs> writing. Uh, what uh, what what inf- inspired you to start that process? Yeah, why why a book? Yeah, uh, well, actually, we had a radio show. Right. Uh, so this guy, Jonathan, and I had a radio show. It was a lot of fun, but the problem is he had to travel from San Diego to LA to do it. And finally I was like, Hey, I don't want to drive, do the drive anymore. The drive got hard. Right. And so our radio show was two people, not one people. Uh, and so then the producer there said, Hey, look, I know somebody over at Howard Stern, you know, maybe you should go over there. You know, they met me and they go, well, you know, I don't know if you're a fit, uh, but I do know, you know, you have some great ideas and content and we love the way you talk and explain things and your good charisma and personality and seem like an okay guy. Uh, we, we know an agent that would be a literary agent. And so I met with the literary agent. She says, oh, you know, you got tons of charisma. You're a good guy. I love your ideas. You know, you're good in front of people. Said, you know, let's, let's get this stuff in a book. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then she took me around to Simon and & Schuster and McGraw-Hill and these kinds of things. And McGraw-Hill said, oh, we love you. You have charisma and you're good at this stuff. And these are good ideas. And can you write a book? So it's just like tumbling down this wormhole without ever really thinking about what was going on. And then I got a book contract and then I took the money. And then I said, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> I think I just agreed to write a book. And so that's how it happened as opposed to, hey, I want to write a book. Who should I talk to? Did you write it all yourself or did you collaborate with like a ghostwriter? Did you like, how did, how did that process go down? Yeah. So I wrote it myself. Uh, I used people, you know, so I hired a cognitive psychologist. Um, you know, I, I hired a guy from the New York times uh, to just show me, you know, what a chapter is, how long a chapter is, how to structure this thing. Uh, you know, what a book really is. But eventually I just wore all those people out and fatigued them because I wanted it to be perfect. And I just wrote the whole thing. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> How many copies of that book have sold over time? And like, did, did that one ever hit the New York Times bestseller list? Um, it didn't because it was a slow roll, um, but uh, it, a million copies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a business book, if it's successful, sells 10,000. Yep. So million. Matter of fact, oh, I don't have it here. I just took it home. A, a guy just sent me a copy of Pitch Anything from Russia, right? <laughs> we never licensed it. So it's published in languages and countries, you know, bootleg. Uh, but it's in Italian and Romanian and Russian and two dialects of Chinese and Japanese. And so 
it's uh, it's pretty well known. Wow. So so what what uh, tell me what happened like once the this thing looked like it was really going to be a big deal, uh, and and people really started gravitating towards the book. What happened to you? Like, what was your thought process when, like, you all of a sudden you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, people are actually reading this thing. It's like it's becoming a thing. Like, what? Tell me what that time was like for you. It's very simple. When I became famous, I became a Lamborghini driving dick. (laughs) (laughs) True story. But then I had a little boy, Uh, and he recalibrated me over from the dick side to being a pretty good person. Um, no. So, so I think, uh, you know, it, it, it was cool, you know, being recognized in restaurants until every time you go out to eat, you know, somebody walks up, you know, at eight o'clock at night, you know, at the fish shop in Encinitas going, Hey, can you sign pitch anything? And the question is, why are you walking around with a copy of pitch anything at eight o'clock at night in downtown Encinitas? But anyway, you know, um, it, so, the, so that was kind of cool. And then it became a bit much, but, uh, I, I think as I changed people's lives, this was a major change with me. As I changed people's lives, and we get more and more emails every day. Hey, I didn't. I was the worst salesperson in the company. It looked like I was going to have to go back into accounting, you know, which has no upside. Then I read pitch anything. I started doing this stuff, and now I'm the number two salesperson in the company out of fifty salespeople. Thank you. And I started getting hundreds of those. I started started internalizing the positive impact that I was having, having, and and. Then the big change in me is I refuse to allow negativity, not in a motivational or existential sense, but uh, I put so much benefit into the world and change so many careers and companies and lives. The big change in me is I'm not really open to negative feedback, right? I mean, I'm sort of introspective and trying to improve and everything, but I refuse to have negativity about pitch anything or myself or the company. Uh, if it happens, we just block somebody out and get whether they're a customer, whether they're a follower, whether they're a fan or ex-fan. Uh, I have zero ability to internalize negative feedback. So that, that was a big change in me. Because before I'd listen to people, you know, and they say, hey, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Uh, because we're helping so many people. I think that's a philosophy I need to adopt um, because yeah, negative feedback is it's impactful and it, 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 it'll hit me. It'll hit me pretty good. And I, I want to, I want to read it and I want to, you know, learn and improve from it. But oftentimes it's just like trolls that aren't really providing value and they haven't done anything like this uh, themselves. So right. it's sometimes important to look at the source. Like is the source somebody that's actually doing this and they have constructive criticism to give, or is it somebody that's just giving their two cents based on, you know, sitting on their couch or their toilet with their phone and tweeting. It's, it's the world's worst thing. You know, there's uh, negative feedback has so such a higher impact than it showed on reviews and in social media and everything. First of all, because in the human condition, one piece of negative information can dislodge hundreds of pieces of positive information. Uh and so I used to say when the negative, you know, if, if somebody wrote somebody negative uh, about it, I used to say, could you please send me, you know, your book, right? And but it's not even worth the time anymore. So, it, uh, and and so the other thing that's happened is now I have 5,000 people, maybe more in an online program called Pitch Mastery. It might be the world's largest petri dish or, or um, sort of platform for testing these ideas. Mm-hmm. And people, every Thursday we do a call and people will come in and they'll say, hey, you know, we went to a pitch and they haven't responded. 
right? And they just, they're icing us and gone dark. Uh, you know, I went to a pitch and we had 10 people in and one detractor, but the detractor is swaying everybody else. Or, you know, we're trying to sell a customer and they said that they're happy with their existing vendor, even though we have a better solution. And then, you know, their CEO agreed. But whatever. so I've solved those problems. I go, do this, say this, go out and do this. And they come back and they go, it worked. And so when I think about like Dan Ariely and, you know, who left me a voicemail the other day and, you know, those kinds of guys who put 17 college students <laughs> inside a room and go, hey, here's a, you know, a white coffee cup and here you 11 have a black coffee cup, but draw a flower on it. And, the, you know, half the students willing to pay 75 cents for the coffee cup, another half were to pay $1.12. Fuck off! <laughs> How am I supposed to use that to close this million dollar account? to go get this money, to grow my company, right? Ideas. What we're doing is actual go say this, right? For example, here, I'll give you guys one, right? Uh, when, you get on, when you get on a call, just like I said, um, you know, with a client, you know how clients are. They're, they're good and they're well-intended and, you know, they, they come to a call. But when, when I have big clients, you know, $10 million company, $700 million, they always come late to a call. Right. No matter what, you know, four, three minutes late for, you know, I won't hang around at eight minutes and we'll just hang up. Uh, but I always go, Hey John, you're here for the 1004 call. Great. Let's get that one started. And you'd think it'd be rude, right? But these guys know the value of time. You know, they're running a company, they're a client and they always say, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, we had, um, uh, seven, uh, ships stuck in the Bahamas, you know, with freight on them and couldn't get them over. And, and we were taking care of this $700 million problem. And so it did cause us to be a few late, but I'm sorry, won't happen again. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's ultimately what pitch anything and flip the script are about is resetting the value equation yeah. in the buyer and customer you know, relationship. You're also controlling the frames. And I know you, you talked about that and pitch anything quite a bit is controlling these frames. Like you mentioned, like the time frame um, or, or gaining the temporary alpha status is kind of like what I'm hearing in the stories that you're telling. I, I wanted to rewind for a second though, and talk about when you first, when you first were kind of learning this and you had, you went back to that conversation where you saw the email that said, lose my number. Yeah. <laughs> because that email is, uh, is to me, it's kind of like the opposite of neediness. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a claiming alpha status. It's doing some of the things you talk about in the book. Um, how did you break down what you were seeing there? Like, how did you actually yeah. break down the elements of what you're like, wow, this is effective. So like, what did that process look like when you're breaking, when you're reverse engineering, like what this guy was doing? Well, I think, if you look backwards, you know, we went into that deal with values, right? We had a set of that. We worked hard. We were honest. We had integrity. We, everything was buttoned up, all the legal paperwork, and it's a good deal. And we worked with them. So we were in a position of, you know, the moral authority frame. They were acting weird because that really, that's what, hey, are you here for the 1004 call is all about, right? Mm -hmm. If you unpack it, it's, we came to this call at 9.59, we kicked it off, we brought our team, we prepared for it, right? And time is money in business. And you're here, you know, leisurely five minutes later. What's going on with you guys? Is this, are we gonna see this all the time? Are you guys weird in other ways? Are you guys professionals at all? Now, I know those are extreme questions, but that's what is subtext in, oh, you're here for the 1004 meeting? Right, and it's fun, and it's funny, and, and, and so, um, when you say lose my number, it is rests on top of having absolute moral authority. 
coming to meetings on time, delivering correct paperwork, you know, having all the numbers match up, um, uh, you know, doing everything correct up to that point, and then go, you guys, really it's saying, look, we're too good for you. You're fatiguing us, right? We work with, we will not work harder to make you money than you will work for yourself, and we're out. That's what's really subcommunicating in those three words. It's really just throwing down that gauntlet yeah. right at the top of the thing. And, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting because I, I come from more of that rapport building sort of like my pitch meetings are always like, Hey, yeah. 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 How's the, how's the fishing or whatever, you know, I mean like paying attention to what people are saying and then bringing it up later. So I go kind of the, uh, the other way. Cause I, I feel that, uh, you know, a lot of deals are more about relationship building, but, uh, but, and obviously you've, you've tried both. But ways. are they, but are they really, I mean, when the stakes are high, right. Oh, Hey, you know, um, we're going to have the marketing geeks run our entire $50 million budget for all of 2020. Uh, you know, there's some things in their program that don't seem, you know, competitive with the, you know, marketing guys over, you know, out of the thing, uh, you know, they've been late to company, but, you know, and it's $50 million. You know what? But we got a great relationship with those guys. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> We're in. We'll sign the contracts. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So uh, I think you find that when the stakes go higher and it really matters, what's important is that you're honest, that you have values, um, that you have a good track record. That, that's why Flip the Script is really, if you unpack it, is about two things. Status. Having status uh, and and status develops trust. Okay, and having and having and being seen as an expert in this kind of problem, and that develops and that creates certainty. When you have trust and you have certainty, you have a deal. I get not when you have so relationship is good for when things go wrong, but it doesn't really do a lot to get things. Uh, relationship is just a subcategory of trust, right? And I think it is important, but it is not higher than trust. It doesn't, it doesn't replace it. It's just a piece of it. You need trust, which comes from status. You need to be seen as an expert, create certainty, add those two things together and you have conversion. Let me, let me ask you a couple questions about status um, because with with status, I, I look at it in a couple different ways, and I've I've studied works like you know uh, Robert Cialdini, um, some of his work in like influence, and we we've had a number of people in the show that have talked about ways of what, calling it like authority building. Um, what, as a status, do you think that like for instance, just being seen as the guy running a podcast or the guy that's authored a book, um, just those are, are those elements that are going to really make an impact on status in a sales conversation or like, how do you, how do you look at status yeah. in ways of building it in an effective manner? Yeah. I look at status, uh, in from three dimensions. Number one is, are you an insider in their industry? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's pretty binary outsider industry insider. We'll lose deals. Because, you know, a semiconductor comes in and we're perfect for them, but we have no status, you know, no visibility on us in their industry. Nobody knows us. We don't know anybody. Okay. So one is insider outsider. Two is 
conveyed status, right? Where we, um, do we set ourselves up as the low status, low power individual? Okay, so you see a lot of these sales presentations start, hey, we're really excited to be here. You know, Microsoft is a, an amazing account. We'd be very excited to be, you know, your service provider for, uh, you know, logo design. And it would just mean a huge, huge thing for our organization. That's why we brought everybody here today to meet with you. And these are all sort of low status signals. We're needy. Or, you know, Microsoft, you know, your account will be amazing for us. We'll do anything uh, till you win the account. And so when you put yourself in the low status position, right? And you, in, a, in essence, put the buyer in the high status position, some things happen. The reason it's bad is because physiologically, biochemically, they, their focus narrows. They see you through a very, very uh, thin lens in one dimension, value, right? They see you as a person uh, only at a surface level, right? They don't really see your value and your expertise and your relationships and your knowledge and your ethics and your uh, experience. They just see, you know, again, what is your ability to deliver, right? Uh, but most importantly, they feel comfortable taking risky behaviors around you. Hmm. That's why you get slapped on the butt all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but you know, they'll check their phone, right. They'll take phone calls during the meeting. They'll talk to other people. They'll flip over their laptop, you know, like me search for Jeeps on him. Right. So, so when I, when a, a firm comes in, just take the logo. Hey, we want to build your logo, right. Really excited to be your orange. Um, you know, it would be a great win for us to do the redo the pitch, anything logo, really excited. Uh, would love to have this account. You know, we, we've been looking forward to this meeting. We prepared a couple logos for you. You know, this is great but it is pretty low status behavior, right? Cause busy people, you know, but, but Ogilvy isn't coming here. Right. And going, Oh my God, we're so excited about making the pitch anything logo. Right. They're like, Hey, listen, we were in town, right. We have like nine seconds. <laughs> if you want us to make your logo, you know, let's figure it out as I'm walking towards my car. Right. That's what Ogilvy says. And they go, Oh yeah. yeah. So, so um, when, when, when the, you know, firm says, Hey, really excited to be here. Uh, everything like that. You know, I have my laptop open and I'm, I'm searching for Jeeps on eBay. Right. When I'm going to Goldman Sachs and I'm trying to win a $15 million financing for one of our companies, right. In that meeting, I don't have my laptop open to Jeeps on eBay. Yep. Because if somebody sees that they're going to go, uh, you know, talk about it. And they're gonna say, hey, this guy's taking it seriously. You know, I have a spreadsheet open or better. I have nothing open and I'm paying attention and writing notes down. So high, uh, they take high risk behaviors around you when you're perceived as low status. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing about status, and this is in flip the script, is, is really something in the dominance hierarchy, the hierarchy. Where are you compared to your peer in the buying organization? Right? So you. Uh, you don't need to have the status and the superiority of the CEO in the buying organization because he's probably not the decision maker for a million dollar marketing budget. You know, he's going to sign off on it, right? You need to be perceived as the peer of the guy who's making the decision. And that, so that's really, so those are the three ways to approach status. And I can tell you this, if you have low status, no status, not seen as a peer, right? And the other people feel like they have power over you. There's no, not much point in continuing to the rest of the until you have 
status. And the books, especially Flip the Script, shows you how to create that status very quickly, starting from nothing. Hmm. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Flip the Script, because this is your newest book. And I, I'd love to find out kind of what inspired you to write this book. And what are some of the other things that are covered within the pages of this fine document? Yeah, so I feel like today uh, conversion rates are going down, right? For high stake stuff, 5,000, 10,000, you know, something that's above a click to buy. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't make sense because leads are going, you, people are drowning in leads. You've got 7,000 companies helping you generate leads, manage leads, do lead optimization, lead nurturing, click funnels, funnel hacking, CRM, integrated, Zapier, you know, active campaign. And all of this stuff is, is technology is built to deliver a lead. Yeah. But after you get the lead, no amount of technology, any, actually any amount of technology that you use to try and convert the lead will be, have a negative effect. It's you and them, and the things you say, the power you have, the persuasive influence of your pitch to convert them into a customer, buyer, partner, investor, whatever. I mean, even then we have a problem with Zoom, we're going to use another platform, like, you know, and this happens to any technology you use to try and convert, you know, other than DocuSign, DocuSign is a good technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only one. Shout out to DocuSign. Um, so, so, so I think, you know, today, um, buyers, and, and this is really the first um, line of the book, is today, buyers buy, they aren't sold. And, and in the book, you, I mean, in the, I, I've read part of the book. I've not finished it. I'll be, I'll confess. I, I, I do own it though. I do own a okay. copy on audible. Um, you, you kind of make the comparison of inception. So you, you talk a lot about yeah. like, this is like the metaphor of inception where you are, you're implanting an idea in their head, but you need to make it so that they think it's their own. Uh, also to that regard, I was watching an early podcast episode of yours where you're talking about email open rates. And you mentioned how the email needs to be about the person receiving it, not about the person sending it. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of, uh, can you, well, can you talk a little bit about this? I mean, cause you're kind of positioning yourself in a different way and you want, you, you want to, or, or talk about that. Just let me, let me let you talk about it. When buyers can transparently see the sales process, they can very easily manipulate it to their benefit. The sales process that they very easy see, very uh, very easily easily see is uh, rapport. Come the nice guy, introduce features. This is the background of our company. These are the logos. These are all the good people say stuff about us. Um, these are the fe things we do. Our features. These are the benefits that you get from using our features. Whether it's a service, a product, uh, you know, consulting, whatever. Uh, th this is putting it all in context. How great your life is going to be once you're used us. This is what's going to happen in the future, right? How, how the benefits are going to benefit you stretch benefits, right? So, and then, then into the trial close. So what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Right. Do you have any questions? Uh, no, you know, it sounds really good. If you can send her the information, I'll talk to the committee, my partner, the board of directors, the CFO, CEO, I'll talk to Sasquatch. who I have to run all the deals by <laughs> Sasquatch. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, well, you know, what, what, what seems to be holding you back, you know, we really hadn't, then the objections come out, 
right? Yep. We hadn't budgeted for this. Uh, it's a little bit more than we thought. We're happy with our current supplier. We hadn't realized that, you know, it uses this technology and not that technology. Uh, something we really have to think about to change the way our business model to do this. And you go, oh, hey, that's no problem. You know, in terms of budget, we have financing. So you're overcoming objections you're yeah. sort of in high school, debate club argumentation with the customer about why they're... I've probably heard 10,000 calls like this, yes. Yeah, why why their objection really isn't an objection and why what they think isn't really what they think. And so that's why I say you need inception because the classic sales model ends up with you telling somebody else that they shouldn't think what they think. <laughs> it's true. Okay, and so what Flip the Script does and the methodology in it is it changes the model for buyers. So you put your information and your ideas and your products into their mind in the way that they buy. So they don't visibly overtly see the mechanics of your sales. They just feel like they're working with you until they get to this point where they go, Hey, you know what? This is awesome. We, we got to do this, Joe, you know, you good. I'm good. Send over the contract guys. Let's start on Monday. That right. That's what people say when the idea to buy from you, work from you, you know, be in partnership with you comes from them, not from you. Can you break down a little bit about the psychology of how you make that happen? Well, I think we talked about it, right? Raising status so they trust you. Mm -hmm. Showing that you're an expert so they have certainty that the things you uh, so the things that you uh, are saying will happen will actually happen. Hey, you know, give you an example. Are either of you guys car guys? Not me. Not you. Okay. Anybody there? Uh, you have a car. How do you get around? I own a car. Yes. I, 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 I actually use public transport because it's amazing here in the Netherlands. Okay. Uh, I know. Yeah. I own a car. We can, we can get the car metaphor. So let's hang on a second. It. Jeremy, I'm doing a podcast with a bunch of Moe's that take the bus to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, I have a car. That guy doesn't. Oh, what, what? So what? What kind of car? <laughs> Toyota Camry. Toyota Camry, great car, right? And what year is it? You know, roughly what year is it? Twenty thirteen. Yeah. So I mean, uh, those things never fail. But has there ever been a problem with it? Uh, yeah, like the brakes. Okay, the brakes. Yeah. So I, I'll just give you a hypothetical. Toyota Camry's tough because those things like will go two hundred fifty thousand miles without a problem. But you got your Toyota Camry, right? And uh, you're driving to work, uh, and you hear a noise you know, squeaking and some crunching. And you're like, what the hell? You drive home, same noise, hoping it would go away. It doesn't go away. So you're like, hey, uh, I don't want to take it to the dealer because, you know, dealers are, are super expensive. Take it to the shop. You take it to the shop. The guy comes out, you know, he says, press on the accelerator. He goes, he goes, listen, yeah, you definitely have a problem here. I wouldn't drive this around much. Uh, tell you what, it's 200 bucks. Leave it here. We'll figure out what the problem is. We'll give you a call. If you decide to get it fixed here, we'll apply the 200 bucks to the repair. And you go, hmm. Not... I mean, it sounds good. I'm just, I'm not sure I have my problem solved, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into something, but I'm not out of it. So you're like, it sounds good. I got to check with Sasquatch. He approves all my car repairs. <laughs> <laughs> Drive down the road. You know, now you go, hey, should I go to the dealership? And I'll try one more shop. You go to another shop, right? Mechanic comes out. It's Heinrich. He's got a you know, blue suit on. He's got his name tag. He's got hands in his pocket. Looks like a mechanic. Sort of got a mustache. Very cool looking, uh, mechanic looking beard. And, um, uh, he's holding the wrench and comes up and he, he kicks his toe into your tire. Right. And he says, yeah, press accelerate. You press accelerate. He goes, crunch, crunch. Right. And, and he goes, yep. Yep. Tell you what, 
So in 2013, when the Fukushima happened, uh, the Toyotas were built in Nagasaki for three months, and they en- ended up using what they had there to build the cars. And this, they used the 23705 fan belt and the 17605 throwout bearing. You see this little grease here? That's when the throwout bearing is starting to wobble, right? Because the fan belt is three millimeters too long. We keep the 27405. We see about 100 of these a month, right? Tell you what, leave it here. It's 450 bucks. Come back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. It'll be done. Yeah, sounds a little better, even though I have no idea what he just said. Right. <laughs> but he showed you that he's an expert in your problem. He's done it a thousand times before. It's no, he doesn't tell you how good he is, how, many, uh, uh, how much they work on Toyota, uh, what his certification is, to look on Yelp, um, that they're the cheapest or they're the best. He mm-hmm. just shows you that he's an expert. And, and so when somebody sees you at a high status, those three status levels we talk about, and you can show them that you're an expert through the various you know, methods that I talk about in the book, uh, and, and they understand that, and it really didn't build in that mini pitch, but the world is changing, right? But I think one change, just in the mechanic example is, hey, if you continue to drive on this, it's going to cost $7,000 in repair. Get ahead of it, it's $450 right? Things are changing, right? You can communicate why us, why now, uh, and, and put all of that in pre-wired ideas that the mind understands. So, so when you can do these things for your pitch, your company, then the buyer, and, and you show the buyers how to buy from you. You give them the buyer's formula. Hey, this is how you solve your problem. Intuitive ways to do it, non-intuitive ways to do it, things to avoid, things you're going to run into you don't even know about, and you show them, right? And during, along the way, you, you explain your values of how people work with you, and you hold them up to your values. This is what causes people to tip in to your deal and to create inception, come up with the idea inside of them. Hey, these guys are awesome. They have the same values I have. I'd love to work with them. They've solved this problem a thousand times. They have skin in the game. Um, if I, I have to do something because the world is changing, they're very knowledgeable about all of this. And by the way, uh, they're industry insiders and high status. This is the way to go. We have certainty that our problems will be solved with these guys, the marketing geeks. Let me ask you a question now. Uh, um, I, cause again, I, I've worked in the seminar industry and, and I think I've seen just from the people that I've worked with, they, they've seen a lot of these companies have seen dips in sales on, they were selling 25,000, 50,000, hundred thousand dollar mastermind tickets or private programs. And they're, I think it's, they're having a harder time selling those same, um, programs in 2019 versus 2014. Sure. Sure. Um, One of the models that they've adopted, and I think they've been using this for a while, was the idea of the application where they're kind of flipping the script in in the sense that they're making the person qualify themselves to you. Like how effective is that? And is that, is that no longer enough? Or like, how would you speak to that? Is that only covering like part of the equation? Like what, what's your take on that? I mean, I'm an expert in high stakes sales, right? And really when you think about it, uh, that's a seminar industry, very unique experience. But when you're selling something high stakes, a lot of times you have a professional buyer, mm-hmm. right? So we'll come back to that. Right. Okay. But, but if you go to Microsoft, right. And you say, Hey, listen, uh, you guys can submit an application to use our, you know, accounting software plugin, right. They're going to go, I, I don't, 
know what that means. Like, that's not our buying process. Like you yeah. come here, you show us your features, you know, you show us a long-term impact, you show us the KPIs, you show us the long-term pricing and the impact. We compare that against three other, you know, companies and we try and make a best decision for us. Uh, we're not sending an application, lose my number. So buyers buy how they want to buy. Okay, not how you want to sell. So I understand that application process, but it's very specific, you know, to the coaching industry because you know there's this imputed scarcity i can't i can't coach um uh so so if you're selling your company to microsoft then you can go hey you can submit an application to buy because we know oracle and facebook and google right and so meet with our bankers talk with them if they approve you then you can meet with me the ceo so so that application process depends on the scarcity and the specialization of what you have. Okay. So if I'm a coach and I go, hey, I'm taking five, I'm pitch anything, flip the script. I've helped a thousand companies, you know, turn the corner and grow revenue hundred percent year over year. I'm taking on five new clients, right? And I'm going to look at applications and choose who comes aboard. So it's supply and demand. If you have uh, enough demand for a limited supply, then you can start to impose rules. Like, hey, submit an application, right? And I think um, the so so yes, I like that application process, but it is outside, you know, the norm of how a professional buyer will be willing to buy products and services. Now, I have a application on web my website, workwithorn.com. You submit an application to work with me because I'm busy, right? We're buying companies, um, we're uh, we're raising a fund, you know, I'm speaking. And I just don't have a lot of time. So you really are applying for a little bit, a fraction of attention that I have, but that's a high stakes gambit. You know, a lot of companies go to that forum and they go, I'm not going to apply. Like, that's not how we hire consultants. They come meet with us and they do a pitch deck and we ask them some questions and submit a proposal, but I have enough demand that I don't have to uh, um, use the classic process. Yeah. And you have status too, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Warren, because you know, one of the things that you're talking about really is also kind of an attitude of just walking in there. And, you know, I, this is, this is how I, you know, it's, it is how I've been able to land the things yeah. that I land is walking in there and being like, listen, no matter who you talk to, they're not going to know what I know. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to work with you. That's why we're having this meeting. If not, it's okay because I, but I'll, but I think that's confidence, right? Yeah. So how, that, that's my question. So how you're talking to the sales guy who doesn't have a lot of confidence. How does somebody overcome their own objections that they're battling in their own brain to, to show up in the world that way? This is what flip the script is designed to do to give you the scripts, not word for word, right? But the format that you need to give buyers to have them uh, see you as high status, to see you as a peer, to see you as an insider, to see you as an expert. There's just scripts that work as keys to the human mind, right? And that you put the key in, no matter what mind it is, and you turn it, and that door opens. You walk through that door. It's the matrix. You walk through that door, and there's, a, there's another door, then another key is needed. So, you know, once you get through the door, throw that key out. Are you moving? You know, so I'll give you a, a, an example. Uh, that I rely on heavily in the book, that everybody, winter is coming. Until you know how to put in context for the buyer, 
that winter is coming to their industry, their company, their business, their life, just like in Game of Thrones, right? Uh, and that everything is changing. And unless they know what to do exactly to get through that change, survive it, and thrive on the other side, then their doom is upon you. And to make that concrete in a business example, when stadium seating came to the theater industry, that was nuclear winter, right? If you had a regular theater, which is, you know, the seats where I, you know, I'm five foot eight, I come and sit in front of you and you can't see over me, <laughs> right? It's not like LeBron James comes, sits in front of you, like, I can't see past this motherfucker, right? It's just- I'm a, six foot five, so- don't Yeah, so, so anybody sits down in front of you and you're like, so, so that was a horrible product. I don't know, right? It's flat seating. And so if you're a theater consultant and you go to the couple of theaters that are in, you know, the Detroit submarket, you go, listen, stadium seating is coming. Not like the um, uh, lounge chairs where you press a button and they bring you sushi and beer and it reclines. Just crappy, shitty plastic seats that are higher than the seat in front of it. <laughs> right? Stadium seating is coming to your market. You have six months. I've seen the applications. I've seen the permits. I've seen the locations. The day they open their doors... You are done. Your entire business is going to collapse. Kind of like Netflix and Disney Plus. So it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that is winter is coming, you know, as a perfect example. And every industry has it. Regulation, tariffs, the cloud, um, um, AI, yeah. machine learning. There's yeah. no industry that you can bring me right now where I can't identify some force that is going to change the way that business uh, is operated, Brexit, uh, and that a, a company without a problem solver for how the business is going to behave in a certain area, stadium seating in the future is, so, so winter is coming is a key that will unlock the attention, the desire, the demand, the interest of somebody without feeling like in any way you're pitching them, right? Or that you're selling them, you're helping them navigate. Uh, and I, I, I don't really believe in this consultative selling, right? But they're not seeing that you're selling them. They're seeing that you are an expert in something that's going to happen to them. The same way your doctor goes, see this right here, right? Yeah, I've had that forever. No, that's not good, right? We don't get that out by the end of the week. You're going to have big problems. This is something that you you touch upon in Pitch Anything, uh, where you talk about you know kind of this primal brain, the croc brain that people have, where they they have uh, kind of a limited capacity to kind of uh, see things when you approach somebody, uh, and especially if you're hitting it at something that's too complex, they're not they're going to miss it. So you've got to really play to this kind of. I, I, I want to say like fear-based selling and it's something that I'm really against, uh, especially yeah. because I think it's ruined politics. It's ruined a lot of things, but it, so in a way it's, it, you're, you are kind of recommending to get into that, but, but well, fear, fear-based selling is different. That's sort of like light it on fire. So you can sell them fire extinguishers. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but I think I, I, I give you an example when we pitched Victoria's secret, uh, at one point for the company for data services, mm -hmm. right? They, you know, they back up like a two petabytes a day of data. And so the CTO feels like he is an absolute expert. Like he feels like he could be a data consultant, 
right? So we, I went in with a very large company, Fortune 500 company that deals in data. And we said, first thing, I'm right off the bat to the CTO. Hey, you guys back up two petabytes in data. That's great. That's a huge amount of data, right? The first time we did that was 10 years ago. Two petabytes, that's cute. We're doing 40 petabytes a day. And let me tell you what we see at that volume. Some things that you don't know about are currently happening. It's not possible as you move into two, three, four petabytes a day to uh, have on demand that much data, right? Because now you've got 200 new petabytes. There just aren't data centers where you can have that much stuff on demand. And you've got some real decisions to make about what to delete forever and what to keep. And that's coming your way. And unless you have the software and the technology and the AI and the things necessary can help you manage that level of deletion, you're going to be run afoul of, um, of regulation. Your costs are going to double. So things, a problem is approaching you very quickly. We see it every day. We've solved it a thousand times. You tell us what you want to do. Happy to share with you what we know about managing 200 petabytes of data. Would you say that's communicating directly to the crock brain though, since you're hitting that like high level, almost like fight or flight in a sense, but, uh, but more like you're, you're hitting, you're hitting this need, you're creating this high level of tension and you talk about, you talk about tension. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that going directly to the crock brain or is that, um, or am I over reading into that? Well, I think, uh, when you're making that kind of pitch, right. I think that the crock, the, 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 so the crock brain for people who aren't familiar with it, you know, is the first part of your mind to hear language and an idea and it summarizes things incredibly roughly so you start out talking hey you know we're the best um, social media firm and we published instagram and we get you know 25 percent cagr growth in the accounts we manage and the crock brain is like ah should i eat this should i fuck this should i kill this like what should i do here right <laughs> that's really what the cro- the crock brain is going is this in any way interesting so it likes ideas big ideas hey okay. today right if you're going to do marketing, uh, any advice that was, that was written in a book or concocted six months ago is no longer relevant. Where do you get new advice on marketing? That's what this presentation is dedicated to. Marketing advice that worked yesterday, not six months ago. Okay, that's so, what the crock brain likes, a big idea, right? Uh, and then the midbrain, which is the next place information goes, likes to have... Uh, 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 this, the social status, like, is this person well-respected? Are they a peer or are they a peon? Then up to neocortex, which then really understands this concept of, uh, you know, black and white, like, things are changing. They're putting us at risk and we need, so it's not fear-based, right? It's we need information and we need an advantage Yeah, going forward. Uh, so, so for me, I don't like to trigger fear. I like to trigger insight and expertise. Like, yeah, we agree. Right. Cause, cause I think fear-based is, Hey, I bet you didn't know that your warehouse is on fire. When we do winter is coming, it's not something they don't know. Right. So it's not fear-based it's contextualizing it and framing ourselves as an expert. That's incredible. Well, we got to, you know, we're reaching towards the end here. We got to wrap yeah. it up, but um, yeah. uh, I just have, uh, uh, what, what advice would you give somebody uh, as far as like, where do you, cause you talk about winter is coming. What, do, what does winter look like to you? What does, what, what do you see like 
the things that people have to kind of observe moving forward in the next few years? What's your prediction in a futurist sort of perspective? Yeah, I think the people have lost the way of the sword in conversion or pitching, you know, or, or community sales, right? Uh, so if they don't understand the new buyer, the way he thinks and the way he buys, then uh, everything's going to continue to rely on discounting. Like I have a few friends that run hundred, $120 million, $150 million e-commerce firms. Right. And they just throw up their hands and go 40% discount every day. And on holidays, it's 50% discount. <laughs> so if you don't understand today's buyer, then you're going to be in constant discounting mode. I'll give you an example. Right. So, um, are, are either of you guys athletes or runners, anything like I'm that? I'm a runner. Former right. athlete, not so much right now. I'm a runner because <laughs> they don't have a car. Yeah. yeah good. Uh, or, or maybe you're a busser or an Uberer. But, um, uh, so do you have a set of Normatex? You know what Normatex are? I do not. They're these compression pants, right? So you put your legs on them and anyway, you said, I run a lot. And when you get older, they, they just squeeze your legs and circulate. They have them in hospitals, but they're specifically for triathletes. Uh, anyway, so I go to Normatech and I go to buy a set, right? And I almost, they're 2,500 bucks. I'm going to click buy. And I'm like, oh, you know, I bet these are on Amazon. So go to Amazon Prime and sure enough, they're on Amazon for 2,300 bucks. Oh, 200 bucks, same thing. So I'm about to click Amazon, you know, send it to me today thing. And I go, but you know, uh, I bet I can find a set on eBay. I go over to eBay, sure enough, 1900 bucks, right? Um, uh, you know, new inbox. So I'm about to buy it on eBay, but it's, uh, you know, the auction's ending. I'm going to win the auction. Uh, and I, I bet I can buy it locally, right? So I go on Craigslist, sure enough, 750, used twice. I'm not doing triathlons anymore. Come pick them up the years, right? I go, I bet if I get, take 1700 bucks there, the guy take it. I don't need 800 bucks. Okay. But we're trained to buy this way. And so the buyer has totally changed in his behavior and none of the books, none of the manuals, none of the seminars, none of the training stuff is syncopated or lined up with the way today's buyer aggressively tries to get a price out of you, push the pause button and then go find what you have cheaper. Wow. That's uh that's, it's a tough thing to overcome, man. I, I would, I would, uh, we, we would love to have you back on the program. Cause I, I, I honestly, I could talk to you for another four hours. Uh, where, where can we find you? Where, where, like if one of our listeners wants to get a hold of you, I understand that you have uh, uh, some really cool offers. Tell me, tell me, I want you to tell us a little bit about that real quick. Yeah. So nice and easy Buy flip the script on Amazon. That's a no brainer. Uh, but then go to orenclaff.com, orenclaff.com. And I'm running a registration there that one registrant, I'm going to fly out to San Diego. I'm going to put them up in a hotel on the beach. And I'm going to work with them on their business in the stuff that we've talked about here today. So orncleft.com, that's a pretty good thing I'm running. I'm going to do it once, probably never again, because who knows who's going to win? Probably a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> that's the way my life goes. It's a good chance of that. Yeah, uh, that's an awesome, amazing, amazing offer. And uh, and then also they can get pitch anything on Amazon as well. Uh, is there any other uh, anything else you want to uh, pitch? You have any speaking opportunities, things like that, that are coming up that people can catch you at? Or I think that's it. You know, if you get pitch anything, flip the script and uh, enter the contest at orncliffe.com, you'll be in pretty good position to double your sales, raise money, do whatever you get the resources. And you have a podcast too, though, right? I have a podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Orn Claff project. I have a podcast okay. and we're uh, pretty consistent with that. And uh, you are, my marketing guys are 
constantly complaining. Stop giving away all the information on the podcast. But you know how it is. You can't help it. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to totally, uh, we'll put links in the bottom. And finally, uh, what, are you, uh, what are you geeky about? Uh, like, uh, this, uh, yeah, what are you into right now? Uh, so I have, you know, I have motorcycles. I have 20, I've owned a thousand motorcycles in the last 10 years. I, but I'm, you know, pared down to 20, 30 motorcycles, uh, riding a lot less, you know, now that I have a little boy, but, uh, that's, that's my thing. I love, uh, cars, motorcycles, but motorcycles, uh, that's awesome. that's how old your son? He's five. five, he's, five. Uh, he's a hockey player. Andres says that you're a five-year-old, right? Andres? Yeah, my, my, in fact, uh, this Sunday um, is his birthday. I'm going to, oh. he's, yeah. He's, he's, I have a one-year-old. Andres is a five-year-old. You have, okay, there we go. We're yeah, all that's, fathers. That's awesome. What, uh, <laughs> what sports is your five-year-old doing? Uh, he's actually, uh, well, he, he's getting into martial arts. Uh, yeah. and, uh, he and I just jammed together. Uh, I gave him a little keyboard and I'm playing. Oh, that's great. Guitar. Oh, it's so yeah. cool. But he's uh, really, this is really funny. He's really into unicorns and princesses. And I was like, oh man, this is so, the new way. <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's 21st century, but I'll, I'll love him no matter what. So we were watching frozen. He hadn't I, yeah. I frozen away from him. And so there's this one part in frozen where one of the princesses like goes, absolutely. She turns into this like goddess and she comes out and she's absolutely beautiful. And then he like, as soon as that happens, he leans in and he goes, Oh, now that's a pretty princess. And I was like, <laughs> I see why you like princesses. Yeah, go. that's, that's excellent. Yeah. I don't think we're going to have a gay librarian, you know, over here either, but we, you know, we'll love him no matter what, but yeah. uh, he's, he's a hockey player. And, um, you know, uh, th those, it's amazing to see the strength and agility he's been playing since he was three wow of just a five-year-old i mean that guy could put the puck dead center in your forehead from 20 feet and put you in the hospital so right. oh kids you know we'll they're, have to they're, watch out for him so a hockey player named claff we'll look out for yeah, that we'll send him over yeah. uh you guys <laughs> you guys raise him for the next couple of years i've done what i could <laughs> right on Orin. uh Orin, all right guys claff, everybody thank you so much for being part of the show uh man this was a real honor and please uh, will you come back Will you? I will. What? You love the Dallas Cowboys? I love the Dallas Cowboys. It's amazing. Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah, Ladies yeah. and uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, uh, please check out all of his stuff. Buy it. I, I recommend these books very, very highly. So uh, thank you, Orrin Clapp. Thank you, Orrin. Thanks, geeks. We'll see you again soon. All right. Orrin Clapp, everybody. Man, that, that was, I got to stay. That was an interview. I wish, I wish we could have him on a little bit longer. I, I learned something today. No, that was in one of those interviews where I could have talked, like you said, like for another four hours, no problem. Because yeah, everything, he had some very interesting things to say, very unique takes on things. And, uh, and he himself uh, has that alpha status and you can feel it when you're talking to him. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think, uh, I think he could have talked for another four hours as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, man, well, that was uh, that was something. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, go buy the book. It'll uh, change your life in strange and mysterious ways. Uh, go to his website and uh, work with OrenClaff.com and uh, see maybe you might be a winner. I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally enter that. Man. I know I, I gotta enter it because he's gonna fly me out there. So I'm gonna fly from Camarillo to Carlsbad, which is like a three-hour drive. But you know what? I, I want to get on a plane. I'm gonna drive an hour to the airport, wait in the thing. It's gonna take me five hours to get there, but it's worth it. 
You know, it's it, but you got to tell them it's a package deal because if I win, I'm, I'm going to see you got to <laughs> We are not. We are a single entity. <laughs> right. We are. We are one marketing geeks. We're, we're like a marketing geekoid. A single. I love single. that. I'm sure he'll totally go for it. It's like, oh, just an extra ticket from the Netherlands, whatever. I, I could drive there maybe. Yeah. We'll just fly you out. How's that? Yeah, I can't drive there. I'll take take the train. It's begging on my train trip, man. You know, it's yeah. like a free energy train. You now I just get on the train. I read fucking Reddit. You know, learn my Dutch. And listen to my audiobooks. It's fantastic. Yeah, so, I, I wish I had a train to ride, but you know what? I got my car, and I, I got a, uh, a yeah, it's just audiobooks, whatever. Yeah, man. Well, uh, we'll stay classy.